Booker T. Washington. He was a man born in 1858. A slave. Born into a family with a couple of young white girls that were taken to school each day while he had to work in the fields. He pleaded, can I just go with them? Walk them to school. I'll come back and work all day. And then I'll go pick them up and bring them home. And so as a young, young boy, he would walk with these girls to school and ask them, what are you learning today? What did you have to do for homework? What is it that you like most? And then he'd go back and he'd work all day long. And when he came to pick them up, he would carry their books on the way home. And he'd be looking through the books and asking them, how do you read this? What are you getting from it? What do you like most about this? And of course, he typically got the answer, whatever, it's school. But for him, it was privilege. And he spent time day after day, week after week, year after year, walking with these girls to and from school. Seven years of age, the Emancipation Proclamation comes in. He's freed, kind of. He was free. But then you have to make a living in ways that are tough in a prejudiced world. And so while he couldn't get into school during the day, he worked all day, somewhat equivalent to slave labor, minor income. But what he did was pour over the books at night. And he got himself through grammar school. And he got himself through high school. And he got himself through college and got a bachelor's degree. He got himself through a PhD program. Nights and weekends, working it hard. From slave to doctor, PhD, Booker T. Washington. He started the Tuskegee Institute, helped run it. It was an institute that helped train black men in the end of the 1800s. And his passion was this. You will know, but you will actively know what it means to grasp your subjects. He believed in active learning and he taught active learning. For example, one of the things that he taught was brick masonry. His town and community that Tuskegee was centered around ran out of the materials that were needed in order to make the bricks. They had to stop making homes. So we walked into his brick masonry class on the first day and he said, gentlemen, we have a job. We will pass or we will fail and there is nothing in between. Pass. We must develop a material that we can make brick from that will last. We will provide the bricks for our community and we will do it by the end of this year. Let's go. By the end of that year, they had developed a brick and a material and those homes that they built were called Tuskegee homes. He and his crew of students learned actively to make an impact. He had a passionate love for knowing, but not just knowing, a knowing that would make a difference. Booker T. Washington. You know, we're in the middle of a series here. We're in our second week of In His Light, evidences of God's grace. In His Light. And the Apostle Paul, as he's going through the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's just pouring over all these things that we get to have as a privilege in being in a relationship with God. But today, Paul's prayer, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, it's this. I want you to know, 
actively know some things. It's about enlightenment. You need to get this and it's going to make a difference. That's where we're headed, okay? So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles. We're going to be going verse by verse through this. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand. We'd love to get one into your hands, okay? Ushers have those. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Let me read. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The prayer of the Apostle Paul. This is the first of two prayers in Ephesians. This prayer is a prayer for enlightenment that you may know. The next prayer in chapter 3 will be a prayer of enablement that you may be able to do. This knowing starts us on the path of doing. This isn't just to fill the head so we can go home and feel real good about what we can check off on a list of knowledge. This is about changing lives for his praise and honor and glory. So let's dive in. What is it we need to know? First, knowing him. Knowing him. We are called to know God personally. Look at the end of verse 17. He says, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. We have the privilege of knowing the almighty. Some believe God is distant, unknowable. That's a mistake. We can know him personally and vibrantly and in a way that changes our lives. You know, this word knowledge of him, it actually, in the Greek, the word know would be gnosis. But this word is epinosis, that you may know him specifically and pointedly in detail, that you may have an unbelievably specific understanding of your God. Not just a general knowledge, not just some information, but wow, I've been with him personally. I've watched him work. I know my God. Epinosis. To know him specifically, pointedly, personally, powerfully. That's his prayer for us. That's my prayer for you. That as we go through this year as a body, as I pray for you, May you know him personally, powerfully, in a way that changes you forever. God Almighty is making himself available to us. Let's know him. Let's know him deeply. You know, he says a few things here about how to get to know him. 
in the beginning of verse 17 there, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. So there's two spirits he's going to talk about here. A spirit of wisdom. Okay, first of all, wisdom. Simple definition, knowledge that's applied. It's not just knowledge, but it's knowledge that can be applied. Wisdom. Knowing right from wrong. Knowing how to do something in the given situation. Wisdom. As we do the right things, we actually get to know God better. Did you know that? That a spirit of wisdom would help us to know him better. That's the first prayer. May you, as you know right from wrong, as you do right versus wrong, as you go after the things in this world that God's calling you to apply, you will know more of him. That's a good way to get to know God. Locking arms and taking a step-by-step opportunity with him. Did you know that? So as we get to know him, it's not, let's just sit, around, sit down, do some book study and go away. Basically, he's saying spirit of wisdom. In other words, in your everyday life, as you live it out, may you be living it in a way that helps you to get to know his character, his passions, his person, his power. May you know him as you do it right. Live what God wants you to live and you'll be amazed at what you find in him. Do you know how often when I'm talking to somebody and they're like, God seems so distant to me. I don't know if he's even real. It doesn't take long as we begin to talk through things that we start finding there's a lot of things they know to be doing, but they're just not doing them. And as you start to go away from what's right and do your own thing, mostly just typically because we're trying to go after comforts for self or attention to self, we end up starting to get this distancing understanding of God. As we get back on track to doing it God's way, you will know him deeply, personally, passionately. A spirit of wisdom. That's the first step. But he gives another one, spirit of revelation. It's not just our work. It's not just us going after it as hard as we can and we hope we find him somewhere. That's a definition of man's religion. Did you know that? The difference between Christianity and general religion. Religion defines man seeking for God. Hope we find him. Christianity, God coming for us. Revealing himself to us. A spirit of revelation, he says here. What does that mean? God revealing himself to you. God in your quiet moments. As you pray with him. As you read a passage and you say, Lord, teach me. What do I need to pull from this passage of Scripture? What is it you'd like to have me know? And God whispering, the Holy Spirit whispering in your heart and in your ear, this is what you need to know today, right now. This is who I am. This is where I'm heading. This is what I want you to understand of me. God making himself known to you, to me. The spirit of revelation, that's a privilege that we have, we can actually think God seeking us out. Remember last week we talked about the choosing and the predestining. God at work going after us. There's a two-way street going on here. Us doing the things that are wise and God continuing to reveal more and more of himself as we go along with him. 
It's not unlike having to take that step. And as we step out, God is right there with us to meet us to say, great, the next step is over here. This is more of who I am. And we take that step with him. And we take that step with him. And the progress of life, we could never explain starting at day one. How will we get down there? The details are his to know. But as we walk with him day by day, stepping out wisely and responding to the revealing that he gives us, we can continue to grow in our walk with him. May you know him through an active, personal walk with him. Walk wisely. Respond to his revealing. God at work in your life. How does he reveal himself? Well, you know, the Holy Spirit, the person of God that is taking up residence in us, he does guide and direct and communicate. That's a part of how we know as he reveals the truth of who he is. We've talked about it a number of times already, but the word of God, powerful revealer of who he is, powerful. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. May we be going after the word of God as a primary source of him revealing himself. You know, I've got a Bible that I use at home that uh, I basically sit down with an orange marker whenever I read. And as I go through and read, if I find something about God, something he's doing, something he's saying, something he believes, something he wants, something he's challenging me to do, something he's challenging others to do, I highlight it in orange, okay? And the only purpose to that is simply to go, God's at work. Little God sighting here. And you just underline and keep going, okay? And then you get done with reading that day and you flip back and you look at what God is wanting, what God is saying, what God is doing, what God is believing, what he's passionate about. Now you're not doing that reader response thing of, this is what I'm passionate about. I pulled this phrase out of this verse in this corner in this way and I twisted it to be exactly what I want to be about today. It's, what does God want? What is he going after? What does he want done? That is a powerful moment of experience. And to be able to look back throughout the course of a year, you may be going through a down moment. To be able to look back and thumb through your Bible and see orange and stop and go, what is God saying here? What is God saying here? What is God saying here? And just flip through the recording in your scripture of where you found God talking, being, doing. Very helpful moment in time. Very helpful. little key to there's certain moments like you get into First and Second Kings and you don't find much orange at all and you find a lot of problems going on. <laughs> little tips, you know what I mean? Like there is no God sighting at all. Wow, everybody's making mistakes left and right. You know what I mean? It really helps us get the gist. What's God doing? When do people really start having their act together? The closer they get to him. Walk with wisdom, walk with revelation. Know him deeply. Know him deeply. Okay, this is a little bit of a lame example, but I'll use it anyway, all right? So, 1992, uh, my wife and I were actually attending a church together at the time that was a seeker-oriented church. We were not dating. Uh, I had just met her. I had been there for a year prior to her getting there, and we were in the singles ministry. It was about uh, 250 singles. I was on the leadership team. It was a giant social fiesta. That was the plan of the church. We'll run a lot of socials. We'll pull people in. And along the way, we hope they hear the gospel as we share different things. Don't agree with it now, but that's all right. That's where we were then. And at the moment, we were in these 250-person giant socials. And 
it was, it was a veritable Christian meat market. Okay? That's what it was. So you spent your days having fun bowling or whatever, and then you'd kind of look around, and when you found somebody that visually somehow said, that's a person you should ask out, then you would ask that person out. And if they visually somehow agreed, they would say, okay. And now you're going out strictly on looks, right? And so you get one date or two dates in, and it's going nowhere, and that thing dies, right? And so you move to person two, and three, and four, and everybody's doing this thing, and it's a train wreck, okay? So I've been there a year, and I've been experiencing this and playing the little game that's going on, and it's just pathetic. And I'm laying on the hood of my car one night, looking at the stars with a friend of mine, and we're talking and we're whining a bit about how this plan is going nowhere. And we came to this conclusion. You know what the problem is? The problem is we're asking people out, and we don't know anything about them. The problem is we're asking them out based on some superficial look thing. Let's get to know each other. So we developed a plan, a worship night, once a month, Friday nights, two purposes. Let's get to know God better and let's get to know how each other thinks and feels and responds. You know, we had about 60 people attending that worship. That guy was going to run the the worship element. I was running the teaching element and uh, uh, the worship element was a train wreck. It was like he popped a cassette in and sat down, and it was bad news for the first night. Okay. So, and he forgot the cassette player, by the way, too. So, (laughs) like, it wasn't going well from day one. So, a person who loves to do worship, my wife now, stepped up and said, Hey, would you need a little help doing the worship? I'd love to help out. Within one month, we had a full praise band up there. Everything's cranking. I'm doing the teaching. She's leading the worship. And now we're doing ministry side by side. And guess what happens? We start learning each other's passions and loves and desires and skills and abilities. And a deep respect gets formed. And we started dating out of that and got married. Seven other couples ended up getting married out of that in one year. You know why? Because we didn't spend time trying to figure out who was going to ask who out when. We spent time talking about the Lord who he was, and how we needed to change and adjust. And as we started noticing similar passions, you got drawn towards that person. Okay, here's the point of that long story. (laughs) Knowing someone really goes a long way in finding a good mate. Singles, knowing someone deeply goes a long way in finding that person you need to be hooking up with for life. It's not about the look It's about the character and the person and the passions. It's the whole of it. We need to know specifically with God, are you blind dating God? Are you from a distance, from a distant look going after what you're trying to follow? Or do you know him personally and deeply and intimately? Are you creating that atmosphere of deep understanding that motivates you from the inside out that is a great alignment for life? Or is it a distant general knowledge? We need to get to know him personally, specifically, powerfully, deeply. Now that will change your life. Are you ready to get to know him? Are you ready for him to earth shatter your world? Know him. That's Paul's first point. Second point, know your future. Knowing your future. This is verse 18. 
He starts out, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know, and then he goes on for detail there. The eyes of your heart. I love this phrase. It's, it's a metaphor, okay? Your, your heart doesn't really have eyes, okay? That, that the eyes of your heart, what does that mean? Well, in that culture, a heart was spoken of as the center of your mind, your will, and your spirit. All of it coming together into perception. The heart was the perceiving middle of who you were. Okay? So we may think of it more as passions or feelings today, but in their day and age, it had to do with the thinking, the the willing, the wanting, all of it coming together. The center of your perception. May the eyes of the center of your perception get this. That's what he's saying. May you be totally awake and alive and enlightened in the perceiving part of you to this. And then he goes on. He says, to the hope to which he has called you. May you know what is the hope to which he has called you. Okay. So this future, it involves hope. Hope. What is hope? We need to define this real carefully, okay? I wrote down a a definition I found here. Um, Absolutely certain of future good. Hope. Absolutely certain of future good. You see, in our society, hope has kind of become more like this meaning. I don't know. I hope it happens. Right? It's kind of this, I have no idea. If somebody were to ask me what I'd like to see, I guess it'd be that. That's not what hope means. Biblically and in this context, this is what it means. I am absolutely certain that this is what is coming. I know this is my future. I have been promised by a God that I know personally. And that personal relationship has made me utterly confident that this is where we're going. I have a hope that this is my future. That's what this means. So when we read it, we go, oh, I hope it happens. Like we're missing it. We need to read it and go, wow, I just got shivers. I hope in my future calling. What are we called to? Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us that we're called to be conformed to his image here on earth. There's a process we're called to. It's not just an eternal life later. It's right here, right now. God involved in my life in your life so that you tomorrow can be different than you are today and different in that you're being conformed to his image. You're being shaped and molded like clay. They say, take clay and shape it, right? It keeps the shape. Take a Nerf ball and squeeze it and you let go and it just pops back, right? So our goal is not Nerf ball conformance. Our goal is clay conformance. God shaping us in a way that leaves us that way for life. The sanctification process, making me different tomorrow than I am today so that I can look more and more and more like you. May I be conformed to your image, to your praise and honor and glory. May I reflect who you are in this world so that as people are walking by, they're getting a little closer touch with Jesus just by being around me. That's part of it that you bring praise and honor and glory to him through your being conformed to his image. That's part of your calling. But there's another part of your calling. We looked at it last week, but it's being blameless and holy before him. There is a day where we will stand before him for all eternity beyond, holy 
and blameless, fully restored to a relationship with him, completely understanding who he is, all the blinder torn off, all the me gone, and all the him focused there. We are called to a point where we will be utterly satisfied because we will finally be living as we have been designed to live. Here, we live kind of how we're designed to live, and then we get into me a lot. And as we take me and put it up on the throne, we've just created an idol. And God comes tumbling off. And we've got a problem. Satisfaction will not be found there. You've been designed for God to be on your heart's throne. May the eyes of your heart, your perceiving center, be awakened and enlightened to this. You have a hope, a guarantee, an absolute certain future that you can be conformed to his image for now and be holy and blameless before him forever. That's our hope and future. Amen? That's where we're headed. Now that is something to get excited about. Now that's something to put an exclamation point at the end of. I am certain that this is where God is taking me. Amen? We need to go after him with all we have. Know him. And as we do, we are going after him and knowing him. We become certain of where we're headed. We are headed to being conformed to his image, to looking like him, and to ending up for all eternity with him, celebrating him in total satisfaction for life. Amen? That's what Paul is praying for his people in Ephesians. And that's my prayer for you. May you be so excited as you get to know him this year that you become conformed more to his image tomorrow than today. And as you know him more, you become more and more excited about where you're headed. Your hope is in him and his work. That's the first piece of your future. But he goes on. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The word riches, wealth, unbelievable abundance pouring out of the doors, filling up the room. This is what God has lavished upon us, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Can you hear Paul stacking the words? He's just getting pumped. Can you imagine when he's saying this and writing this and he's shaking and he's jumping and he's preaching it from the, and it's coming out on pen and we can't miss it. The riches, the unbelievable wealth of his glorious, this word means splendor, brightness, greatness, massiveness, awesomeness, the gloriousness of the inheritance we get. Life with him. Eternal life with him. God has designed us to be utterly satisfied when we are fully in him. And he's come to make it happen. Now that's an inheritance. Amen? We need to be excited about God at work in our lives and God going after who we are and helping us to be fully satisfied in him to the praise of his glory. God Almighty at work in our lives. We serve a God who's coming after us. And our eyes need to be enlightened, perceiving properly our future. There is hope. There is riches. There is a glorious, glorious inheritance. It is a mind-blowing, earth-shattering life-changing opportunity for you and for me. And we need to go after it and after him with all we've got.
You know, Christmas has just ended, right? Most of the Christmas trees are down. I notice a few of our neighbors still have them up outside. I, maybe they're just rebelling against the cold weather and they refuse to go out and unplug stuff. I don't know. But, but Christmas is coming to a close here. You know, our Christmas starts the day after Thanksgiving. That's the way we do it in our family. We go up to uh, the DeKalbury to do uh, a family Christmas. We get back Thanksgiving night. And the next morning, the boxes are coming out, the Christmas tree's going up, the whole house is getting decorated Christmas. So Friday after Thanksgiving, that's the get decorated day at our house. My wife, who's totally on top of things, has already bought Christmas presents by then. I've still got it booked for three weeks out from there, right before Christmas, but she's already got some presents. And she's got those wrapped, and a few of them go under the tree. You know, last year, we had a few presents under the tree, and my daughter Alyssa went up that night And she picked up the boxes one by one that had her name on it. And she would take it. She would shake it. And listen and feel. Close. Set it down. Go to the next. Pick it up. Feel it. Shake it. Bend it. Mr. McGee books. Sends it down. How'd you know that? That's what I asked for. Goes to the next. You know, that kind of thing. Like just going around the horn looking and thinking. and, And we were watching TV that night. And I remember looking over at her. And uh, as we're watching this movie, and she is just staring at the lights of the tree and looking at those gifts. And you know what her little mind is running through. I can't wait till I get to open that stuff. That's what we need to be like with our future, with him. Where we're so enamored with what the opportunities and the privileges are. We're so amazed with the hope of what he's got available for us. That the hurts of this world begin to fade just a little bit. And the hope of tomorrow... It's just an amazing gift that sits there in front of us. It's the present that we get to pick up and shake around a little bit. Think about, wonder what's in it, wonder what it's like exactly. But we get the gist that it's a hope of an eternal satisfaction with him. How are you doing with picking up the gift that's before you, sitting under your tree and thinking about it and dreaming on it, knowing it, And being excited about it. Counting on it. And making it make a difference with you. And your passion. And your excitement. This world is not about the pain of this world. This world is about transformation for tomorrow. That's what we got to keep saying. When Paul says in Romans chapter 8. For I, or he says in chapter 8. I reckon that the present sufferings of this world aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I reckon, do you notice I know the King James? I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's where we're headed. Not the pain of today, the glory of tomorrow. Our hope, our change, our full satisfaction in him. That's what we have with our God. Wow. Amen? That's where we're headed. Paul's prayer, know the future. Are you ready to know your future and be excited about it? To be thinking fully and clearly about the change and transformation coming. The privilege you have in knowing him. His last challenge here, knowing his power. Knowing his power. First we know him. Then we get to know the hope of tomorrow. Now we get to know the transformation of today. And Paul goes after it. I mean, he just goes off. It's, it's an awesome Pauline moment where he starts a statement and he wanders off into never, never just dreaming about it, okay? So that's what's going on here. He starts in verse 19. 
He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Immeasurable greatness. Okay, it's not, well, his, his power's pretty good. It's not, you know, his power's really good. It's not, hey, his power's great. It's not, his power's re- really, it's pretty great. It's immeasurably great. I can't even imagine how great. It's so great, I could never get my arms around it. It's the equivalent of taking a little three-year-old up to a sequoia tree and saying, put your arms around it. It's huge. It's unbelievable. That's the power of God at work in our lives. What's the hope of change in our lives? Not my effort. God at work with his power. Unbelievable power at work in my life. That's who we're looking at. That's what we've got available to us. Notice it does say that power is at work in the believers. It says towards us who believe. The privilege of knowing him is the privilege of that power at work in our lives. We have a great privilege of getting to know him personally by knowing his power at work in our lives. A unique privilege to those who know him alone. He says, how great is this power? Let me explain a little bit to you. This is the same power, the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. Yes, the same power at work in Jesus Christ is the power he's going to unleash in you. You know, and then he goes into it. The power that raised him from the dead. Life-giving power. The power that conquered death. That power at work in you. The power that seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Right hand. This is a one-word statement that means place of honor. Place of authority. He has placed Jesus Christ there. An authority-giving, life-giving power at work in you and in me. And he says, not only has he seated him in the heavenly places, but it is far above all. And then he goes into quite the little list. Authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. I don't care who you name or when you name them, bigger. That's where we're at. I don't care if it's physical or spiritual, bigger. That's where we're at. I don't care who you're talking about. Jesus up above. That power lifted him to that position. And that's the power that God wants to unleash in your life right now, right here, in this place, today. Wow. Amen? God at work, changing you and changing me. All too often, the problems seem like the giant sequoia tree and the power seems little. Why? Because we don't know him personally. We aren't focusing on the hope of tomorrow and we aren't letting go, as Colossians 3 says, let, L-E-T. That's the power of God at work in your life, L-E-T. Did you know that? The power of God at work in your life is not D-O, you doing. It's L-E-T. Open up your hands, release control, and say, God Almighty, may you be honored. What do I need to be? What do you want changed? Show me your way. Show me your will. I'm ready. Unleash your power in me. Let's see me tomorrow more like you than I am today. May you be honored. May you be praised. The power of God at work. He says at the end here, and he is to say it the other way. He says, Jesus up above. Now he says it the other way. And he has put all things under his feet. I'm putting them down here and I'm putting him up here. That's the power of God. He has set authority with Jesus Christ and he has given him Jesus as the head to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. 
Jesus loves the church. It sounds a little cold if we don't think of the church as the people. That's what he means. Jesus loves you and me. And he wants to unleash his power in your life. The power that changed him, that raised him, that seated him in the heavenlies, that gave him authority. He wants that same power at work in your life today, right now. All things under his feet. You know, at the start of the new year, uh, John and I made a commitment. John has been committed to it for 10 years. I made the new commitment. Uh, We're at Gold's Gym working out. And uh, so I said, hey, I'm going to use an example. I know you've been working out a lot and you leg press a ton. So uh, let's go leg press and let's see what you do. So, and there's, there's three guys over there leg pressing at the time. They're like, you know, like this kind of thing, you know. And I walk up and I look like one of their arms, like my whole body, you know. <laughs> and they're getting ready to take these bad boys off. They're starting to pull the 45 pounders off. And my wife walks up and goes, you can leave them on. And they're like, no, we'll get them off for you. And she goes, no, just leave them on. It's okay. Okay. And one of the guys steps back like, I'm going to see this. And there was, I don't know, 300 some pounds on it. So she puts it up, flips it, does five leg presses, like put more on, locks it in. So we, we put another 100 on. She flips that, locks it in, does another five. She gets up to 550 with leg press, does 12 reps. She's like, I could do more. Maybe I should just stop now. I'm like, that's enough for the example. We're good. <laughs> so leg pressing 550 pounds, okay? That's just sheer personal strength. Okay, power of God at work in our lives takes us tenfold above. You know, last year, Jonna had gallbladder surgery. The same 550-pound leg-pressing woman couldn't walk around the house once after the gallbladder surgery. I had to take her arm, and we had to go on a long walk of four rooms and then sit back in that couch. It took two to three weeks for her to just get back up to speed. Do you know how often we can know the power of God at work in our lives and then drift away from it just as fast? And we're missing out on the privilege of him changing us. It's time to get back into it. And just as she had to spend the due diligence time just to walk around the house a couple times and let her body do some recovering and let the doctors do their work and let, 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 and the energy started coming back up and she's back like pressing 550, where are you at? Are you in a spot where you've already got the power of God unleashed in you? Fantastic. Keep it going. Help the rest. Are you in a spot where you're going, I don't know that power? You know what? You're in a spot where it's time to just stand up and walk around the house once. You just do what you can do. It's time to watch God work. It will be amazing as he unleashes his power in your life. I don't care where you're at. We are promised that the God of the universe steps down in with immeasurable power to touch and to change and you will be transformed. Just let him work and you will experience the power of God changing you. Amen? Let's go after it. I don't care where you're at on the spectrum. There's an opportunity for you. The God of this universe changing us. We can know him, we can know his future, and we can know his power. Let's get to know him. You know, I'm just going to ask that we go to prayer right now, and uh, we'll have the worship team come up. Let's just take one minute here where you just consider, what is it that I need to be letting go of? What is it that's hindering me 
from experiencing the power of God. Some of you are like, I know right away. I've been doing this and I shouldn't, or I'm not doing this and I should. Others of you might be wrestling with it. Let's just take a moment. Let's just let the Holy Spirit talk. Think. Eyes closed, heads bowed. What is it that God's asking you to go after this year so that you can experience Him and His future and His power in ways immeasurable?